Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Pre-Med Years is part of the MedEd Media Network at mededmedia.com. This is the Pre-Med Years, session number 239. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to the Pre-Med Years. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. Today, we have an awesome guest, somebody who you may already know. We have Andrea Tooley, Dr. Tooley from A Doctor in the House on YouTube. Now, Andrea is a ophthalmology resident, soon to be fellow in a little while, and shares with us her journey to medicine, including chasing down anybody in scrubs and the mistakes that she made, the successes that she had, and everything in between. So let's go ahead and dive right in. Andrea, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to talk, and I love this podcast, so this is great. So, Andrea, when did you first realize that you wanted to be a doctor? That's a great question. I think probably kind of mid-high school. I think you have maybe a similar story, but maybe even in late middle school, I always loved science. It had always been my favorite class, even when I was really young. And then I think finally, kind of mid-high school, I thought that maybe medicine would be a good career for me. So you're one of those, I love science, I love helping people, I'm going to be a doctor. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have any exposure to healthcare growing up? You know, I didn't. I don't have um, any physicians in my family. But I think my personality, I, I always wanted kind of a secure career. And I wanted something that I knew if I worked X amount, then I would be able to go, you know, I I didn't like any uncertainty. And so medicine to me seemed like, well, if I study and I work hard, then I'll go to medical school and I'll eventually be a doctor and I'll have a great job. And then I I felt secure and I I really liked science. I really liked people. It just all seemed kind of to fit my personality. Interesting. I want to dig into that a little bit more, the the secure part of it, because that comes up a lot. It's like, oh, being a doctor you're guaranteed a job, basically. And, and for the most part, that's true. What yeah. Was that something in your your path growing up with, with your family? Was there stability issues? Where did that come from? I don't, I don't know if that's just kind of innate in me um, that 
Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure. And and it's a naive thought because there's so many ifs and you might not end up in medical school. And, you know, mm-hmm. if that was what I was thinking as an eighth grader and a ninth grader. Um, and, and I'm not exactly sure why I wanted something so stable, but it's just not my personality type to kind of um, be uncertain what my future would hold. I've always been a planner. I've always liked to kind of um, you know, map out my future. That's just me. Yeah. All right. That works. So take, (laughs) take that eighth grade, ninth grade, Andrea, thinking about this, liking science, what were those first steps for you to, to test the water and see if medicine was right for you? Yeah. I had shadowed a few people early in high school, I think I shadowed a general surgeon and a nephrologist, believe it or not. And that was kind of set up through my school. Um, they had almost like a career day, but, but more than that. And you could even go to work with some of these people. So I'd had very minimal exposure, maybe a little bit. And then I really got involved, um, when I was in, 11th grade, I flew airplanes in high school, I got my pilot's license, and I met this pilot. And we were kind of chatting. And he said, Oh, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, Oh, I think I want to be a doctor. And he told me about this nonprofit that he was involved with. And that was actually an ophthalmology type organization. And so when I started reading about this organization, I had this really kind of aha moment and thought, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. And so after that, I started reading a lot about ophthalmology and I shadowed a few more surgeons and things, but I kind of, I kind of fell in love with the mission of this particular nonprofit and, and made this big declaration. This is what I'm going to do with my life. What was it about the nonprofit and ophthalmology specifically that, that attracted you so much to it? I didn't know anything about ophthalmology. I, I hadn't even thought of it as a medical specialty, but I, couldn't when i started reading about what what this organization was doing i just couldn't imagine anything better than giving someone back their vision you know that's just a miracle somebody can't see you do a cataract surgery and suddenly they can see and that to me just seemed like the essence of just what an amazing career to be able to do that and to give that to somebody and um i really fell in love with the concept of helping people see and eradicating blindness and there was a big kind of humanitarian component and I was interested in international work and I really thought that that would be the best job ever. Yeah, that sounds pretty awesome. So I'm interested (laughs) in in the flying gig. Do you still fly? No, I don't fly anymore. So I got, my my stepdad flew airplanes. He encouraged me to try it. I loved it. Mm -hmm. It's so fun being up in the air. I just, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, flying. And so I got my license in high school. I flew a little in college. And then once I got to medical school, it just became super impractical. And, you know, I was spending money to rent an airplane to mm-hmm. kind of fly in circles just to stay <laughs> um, cr- like current with yep. my license. And I thought, you know, this is not a priority in my life at the moment. I need to let this go. And so I haven't flown in years and years, but I would love to get back to it one day. Yeah. You and me both. I, I have my private pilot, and I haven't flown in probably three years now. Oh, really? It's so expensive. It's so expensive. Exactly. Yeah. But but we're doctors. We're, we can have airplanes. Come on. 
<laughs> I, I wish that were true. <laughs> <laughs> so you you found this love for ophthalmology very early on. Talk yeah. about your so you're in high school and and you're pretty dedicated on this path now. When you went to college, mm-hmm. how much of that decision of I'm going to be a doctor played into where you went to college and, and how you looked at which colleges to go to? That's such a good question. And the answer is zero. And if I had to do it all over again, I would have been much more strategic about choosing where I went to college. But I... um I didn't think about any of that. I didn't have a lot of guidance. My parents are, um, my dad's an architect. My mom is a musician. And so neither of them had like great um, graduate school type advice things for me. And I went to a tiny, tiny college or high school in Indiana uh, that didn't have a lot of big school type um, counseling for choosing a college. And so I just didn't think about any of that. I didn't really even know to think about it. So what happened was I applied to a bunch of random schools. I applied to UF, where you went, go Gators. Go Gators. And I know. And um, UNC Chapel Hill and Vanderbilt and NYU, kind of just like a bunch of random schools. And then since I was in Indiana, I applied to Notre Dame in Indian, in South Bend, Indiana, and then Butler, which was like my total backup safety school in Indianapolis. And I knew nothing about Butler. And that's where I ended up going. And what happened was I ended up getting a scholarship that was a full ride to any Indiana school. And then I got waitlisted at Notre Dame. I was devastated. I thought my life was over. I didn't get into Notre Dame. And so my only option was Butler because I wasn't going to turn down a full ride. Mm -hmm. And so um, I remember driving up to Butler for early registration, just crying. I didn't want to get out of the car. And I was just so like, my life is totally over. And, um, it ended up being the greatest thing. I loved every minute of that school. I think a small liberal arts school fit my personality so much better than a bigger school. And I hadn't done any introspection. I just had not thought of this at all. And the universe really helped me out there because it ended up being so good for me. But if I had to do it all over again, knowing I wanted to do ophthalmology, I would have chosen a school that had a a connection with a medical school with a strong ophthalmology program. That would have been the smartest thing to do. Um, So I think if there's anybody out there who's interested in a certain specialty, find a medical school. If if you can, in-state is always the way to go in terms of financial costs because medical school is just ridiculous and so is college. But I would try to be a little strategic about it if you're very interested in one certain specialty. But even then, you know, everybody changes their mind. It all ends up working out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of the the asterisks that I put on that sort of advice is mm-hmm. you might be interested in it now and great, go go to a school maybe and, and get that early exposure and maybe start doing some research with the program there. Yes, yes. But still be open to looking at what else is out there. Yes. And so with that thinking, so so it's interesting. You loved Butler. It was great for you. What do you think about going to Butler and wanting to be an ophthalmologist? What do you think going to Butler did to hold you back from being an ophthalmologist? I don't think Butler held me back in any way. Butler just didn't have a connection with a medical school. Um, It's a private small liberal arts school, so there's no kind of automatic uh, way that you can get involved with research in a medical school or anything like that. And it makes it harder, I think, to either shadow or get to know the department as an undergrad. 
So I stayed involved with the nonprofit that I was involved with in high school. And that was kind of on my own doing. Um, and that was outside of Butler. But we still had a great pre-med community. And I had wonderful professors who were great mentors to me just in terms of getting good grades and leadership and that kind of stuff. But really nothing specifically geared towards ophthalmology um, and nothing specifically geared towards a certain medical school. Okay. What was the hardest part about being an undergrad, wanting to be an ophthalmologist, being at this small liberal arts school? What, what sort of struggles did you have? Oh, man. So many struggles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, college is the best. It's such a fun time where you really can try out so many new things and push yourself. And I was really involved in, I was heavily involved on campus at Butler. And I, you know, we all do this in college. We overload our plate. We're in too many clubs and groups. And I had my sorority and my friends. And when you're pre-med, you have to say, you know, no, I can't go to this event or no, I can't go out tonight. And that's never easy and um, always hard. And I think that's when I really first learned kind of time management and organization type skills because I had to, otherwise I was going to fall apart, which I totally fell apart at, at times. Um, and then, you know, it's a small school as well. And so there are a couple classes that we had to take that were really hard that we all just struggled through, which is true of any pre-med and, you know, all of the prerequisites. Yeah. But you know, in general, I think it was really supportive and I learned so much and kind of grew as a person. Did you find being at a, a small liberal arts school, you, you hear the typical pre-med world is very cutthroat, very negative. Did you yeah. did you find that sort of community at, uh, at Butler? I didn't. I really didn't. It's interesting. So one of my best friends was pre-dental. So we all, we took the same classes. We studied for everything together, but he was going to dental school. I was going to medical school. So there was no competition there. And then my best girlfriend was pre-med. So she studied with us as well. There was no competition within our group. And then we had a couple um, people who were a year older and a couple people who were a year younger. Also no competition because we're not even in the same years. But with a few people in my class, my year, for some reason, they I, they weren't in my big study group, but I, I never got that sense at Butler. And maybe that I just lucked out in the years that I was there. We just had people who were a little more chill or less cutthroat. Um, but I never experienced that. And also, maybe I'm oblivious. I think, you know, you you find what you're looking for. And if you're seeing positive things and looking for positive things, then I think you kind of maybe overlook some of that. I don't know if I'm putting that way too simply, but I I just don't find this negativity that people talk about even in medical school. It's I just don't. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I think I think I I agree with that sentiment that you you kind of find what you're looking for and and yeah, I I think that's that's great. So you you have this great study group and and are surrounded by friends and are at Butler, being at a small liberal arts school, what sort of pre-med advising did you get to help you through the process and with applications and everything else? Yeah, I so I think there's so many good, really big benefits of a small liberal arts school. And then there's some places where it falls short and being at a bigger school might be better. 
I felt like I had a lot of kind of one-on-one time with my mentors and my, uh, my professors giving me pre-med advice. Uh, I actually found if there's any Butler people listening, I, I hope I'm not offending anybody. I think I remember feeling like the person who was actually designated as our pre-med advisor was not that well informed. And I remember thinking like, well, whatever, like I know way more than this guy does. (laughs) But, but my professors and the people who I think really helped me make my research projects and the people who wrote my letters of recommendation and things, I felt like they were great in terms of um, being pre-med advisors. But again, Butler was really small when I was there. It's gotten a lot bigger um, because of the basketball team and everything since I graduated. And so there w- we had a strong pre-med community just within the students. But there was less of an established kind of faculty-run pre-med community where I think at bigger universities, you might find a stronger kind of pre-existing pre-med framework to help students along the way because they have so many. Um, and because they have an, maybe they have an affiliation with a medical school if they're a big state school. So yeah, I, I, um, I think I did a lot of researching and things like that on my own. I remember when I would study a lot of the medical students from IU in Indianapolis, they would come to Butler's campus to study because it's a beautiful campus and there's a lot of good places to study. And so whenever I saw somebody in scrubs, I would run up to them and be like, oh my gosh, are you in medical school? And <laughs> like, tell me everything you know. And I'd ask them all these questions. And, you know, I was always asking to meet with people and asking for advice. And um, I think I took a lot of it kind of into my own hands. Yeah, that's great. Self-motivated and... and Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's funny. I think being in the, the situation where where I'm at right now, I get a lot of emails from students and and I would say that 50% of them are very basic questions that yes. they probably took longer writing me an email than Googling yes. it. And, yes. and, and I wish more students had the same mentality that you had of, I'm going to go out and find this information. Yep. So. Yeah. You got to make it happen for yourself. Um, and there's, there's so many people out there who want to help you. And like you said, you can Google things, you can find stuff online. You can find people in coffee shops to talk to who will tell you stuff and you can ask friends of friends. You know, I think there's, you should just kind of try to use every resource available to you. So apparently the secret is whoever's in scrubs, go attack them. That's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Did you go straight from undergrad into medical school? I did. I applied early decision to IU, which... I I made a YouTube video about this recently thinking like maybe I, if I had to do it all over again, I'm not sure if I would have done that, but I don't know. I, everything worked out exactly how it should have. So maybe I, I would have done it again. But in my mind, um, I knew I was a decent applicant. I met all the requirements for early decision to IU and, um, So if anybody's listening doesn't know what early decision is, that's a binding acceptance. So you're only allowed to apply to one medical school. You apply early in the cycle and you find out in October, Mm -hmm. which is way early for other medical school acceptances. And um, if you're in, it's done. But if if you you don't don't get in. (laughs) Right. Then technically you still have time to apply to other schools. You'd be late 
Very maybe late. late in the cycle. So you take a hit for sure. But most early decisions have um, uh, some requirements. So I think for me, it was like you had to have a 31 on the old MCAT and you had to have like a 3.6 or a 3.7 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so, and I had heard that if you met those requirements, as long as you didn't have a, like a felony or something um, <laughs> on your record, then you would probably get in. Wow. Okay. And yeah. And so I thought, um, you know, it's a state school. It's the best financial decision. It's a great medical school. I could apply to all these other schools and maybe get into some like comparable schools, but I'm not going to get into any like Ivy League medical schools. And so I might as well just save the hassle and just apply early decision. And I felt pretty confident that I would get in. And so that's what I did. Were you looking ahead at that point? Had you had you become smart enough yet to say what what sort of ophthalmology programs are associated with the school? Right. Also, no, (laughs) I'm like, I was clueless. So as much as I thought I was like really planning this out and working well, I didn't think about the ophthalmology aspect at all, Um, which I don't know why in retrospect, you know, maybe I should have tried to go to a medical school that was connected with a stronger ophthalmology residency. And the IU ophthalmology residency is really strong. It's a great program. Um, But there's some other kind of state school, normal medical schools that maybe I could have gotten into that have a very strong ophthalmology program. So I didn't think about that at all. Um, Even though, yeah, and um, I think that's not a bad thing to do if you feel very drawn to one specialty. And if I had to do it all over again, maybe I would try to be more strategic about the medical school. Uh, But I didn't. (laughs) Looking back at it, Knowing what you know now, going through the process, being a resident now, if if you were advising undergrad, Andrea, mm-hmm. what would you look at in terms of the residencies to say, oh, this this is a residency program I want to be near, or that's one I want to stay away from? How How would you evaluate that? That's a terrific question, because I feel like as a undergrad applying to medical school, you are so far from residency, you just don't know. Like I remember starting medical school and I didn't even know what internship was. <laughs> I didn't know that I didn't know what that was. Um, until somebody said, Oh yeah, that's the first year of residency. Oh. Um, so I don't know. I think if I was doing that, I probably would have just looked at residency rankings and like which were the top ones. Um, but I don't know if there were would be specific qualities in a program that I would have looked at. You know, I was really invested in this nonprofit. And so I would have maybe wanted programs that had faculty that were associated with that nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, or so for example, one of my co-residents wanted to do ocular oncology and she knew she wanted to do ocular oncology ever since she was um, in high school. She wanted to do retinoblastoma. That was like her life goal. And so she was very strategic about where she applied to medical school because she wanted um, and residency because she wanted a program that had an ocular oncology, which not every ophthalmology program has that. It's really an unusual specialty. So I think if there's some you have some little niche that you're very interested in, like you've done research in a certain area, then maybe 
you could look at re at residency programs that are strong in that one area and then find a medical school associated with that. But all that's very complicated. I think you should go where you think you're going to be happy mm -hmm. because the, the biggest thing is you want to succeed in medical school. So if you, if you pick some medical school that has the best associated residency, but you don't really like the medical school, well then you, maybe you don't even make it to the residency because you hated school and you didn't do well. I think so much of it is going where you think you're going to succeed. And, um, also I really do think that making a financially smart decision is important. Yeah. I, I like to use the quote, and I don't know if I stole this from somebody or if I, if I came up with it myself. Well, let's just say I came up with it. But the I, I like to say, don't go to a great medical school. Go to a medical school that will make you great. Yes. I, I, think, I think too many students look at the name and look at the prestige and, and don't think about what's going to make them happy. Yes, I love that. That is so true. Because at the end of the day, and I say this, something similar to what you just said, you know, you can be a fantastic, I say resident, but medical student as well, medical student or resident, you can be a superstar anywhere. And you can be, you know, a really crummy resident or medical student at Harvard. It's all up to you. Mm -hmm. I agree. All right. So you get into IU early decision. Talk about that transition from undergrad to medical school. How did you handle that? Was that a fun transition? <laughs> yeah, you know, it was. I was so excited to finally be starting medical school. I think everybody feels really similar starting medical school. You know, you finally made it. You can't wait. Um, you're like, re you know, ready to hit the ground running, really excited. And then like a couple weeks in, like, oh, God, what what did I do? Um <laughs> But I was just raring to go. Um, and I was actually really intense um, during medical school. And I think that's because I knew I wanted to do ophthalmology and grades were really important to me. And I didn't mean to be, I wasn't like mean intense, but I was just like so into it. And I was probably really annoying looking back for my classmates. Um, <laughs> you were the gunner. That's why you, that's why you didn't know anything. <laughs> I know. I was a total gunner and I didn't mean to be. Um, but looking back, I'm like, oh man, I just like shake my head in shame. How did you um, how did you figure out it, it sounds like you were pretty naive through undergrad yeah. and applying to medical school? How did you finally figure out once you started medical school, be like, oh, ophthalmology is pretty competitive? I need to start working hard. How did you right. get that mentorship to realize that? To, to me, I always was very um, like pragmatic about everything, getting into medical school, getting into residency. I just thought if I get good grades and I work hard, then I'll get to where I want, I'll get into residency or I'll get into medical school. And I never really thought further ahead than that. So for ophthalmology residency, I knew it was very competitive. And so I just thought I have to get the best grades possible. Um, and then I also knew I needed to do research. And so I wanted to get involved with ophthalmology research really early, which I did. And um, I also got involved with the ophthalmology student interest group at my medical school very early. And they provided us with a lot of mentorship um, because it was all four years of medical school students 
Um, and so you'd get great advice from the people who had just matched or the people who were applying. And, you know, every year you kind of moved up. And so that was huge. And I think those other med students gave me so much good advice and mentorship. And then my research mentor was just out of fellowship. And so he was still fairly young and had gone through all of this. And he was also very, very helpful. Okay. I wonder, the those those student interest groups are such a valuable resource in medical yeah. school. Mm-hmm. Do you ever remember pre-med students crashing in on those meetings? Yeah, we had a couple that would ask to come. And, and um, I thought that was fine. And that was great. And I think if you're a pre-med, that's a great thing to do to meet people. Um, and if they'll let you go, definitely go. I would recommend that. That's a great idea. We also, the ophthalmology student interest group at IU, we started a free eye clinic. And so we would have pre-meds come to the eye clinic as well uh, to help see patients. It was on Saturdays. And so that was great. And it got them involved. Yeah, that's a great thing. So if you're near a medical school, contact the school, find out how to contact whoever's in charge of the student interest group for whatever specialty you may be interested in. That's a, yeah, a that's great way to get involved. Advice. Yep, great advice. So you're a resident now. You 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 made it to the the big stage. Yeah. And you are and you've matched into a fellowship. Congratulations. What Thank you. How did you decide fellowship wise what you wanted to do for the rest of your life? Yeah. It's so it's so funny. Um I have been I felt like I was so laser focused on ophthalmology since I was 16 and It was just everything was like, got to get to ophthalmology, got to get to ophthalmology. And then I got to residency and, you know, you don't learn a lot about ophthalmology in medical school that you have like two lectures or something. And I had done a ton of shadowing and I had been in clinic and I had been in surgery and I really thought I had kind of seen a lot as far as medical school goes. But when I started finally doing it in residency, I never, I couldn't find something that I really fell in love with that I thought I could do this every day for the rest of my life. Like I just didn't feel like I could do cataract surgery every day for the rest of my life. And I also discovered that I don't love looking um, through lenses as much as I do, as much as you should to be an ophthalmologist. And I don't know if there's any way I could have known this, but I don't like seeing a virtual image. I like seeing a real image. And that's just me, which is weird. But oculoplastics, which is this, the fellowship that I'm going into, does plastics and reconstructive surgery around the eye. They do orbital surgery, which is just amazing surgery in the orbit. You kind of can do combo surgery with neurosurgeons or ENT type surgeons. Um, I really love the patient population. And it to me, it, it felt different than intraocular surgery. And I... I just fell in love with it, and I didn't feel that way about any other special subspecialty within ophthalmology. Interesting. I want to I want to backtrack as you were going through your clinical rotations as third and fourth year medical student. Yes. Was there any specialty that started pulling at you and and making you second guess ophthalmology? There were a little bit. I wouldn't say that anything made me second guess ophthalmology. I really liked little pieces of lots of specialties. Um, you know, I love surgery. 
So I loved my general surgery rotation, but I didn't like big, long, um, just like this macroscopic nature of general surgery. I really preferred like the small, more microscopic nature of ophthalmology is what at least I thought going through it. I also, I loved neurology. I really loved the patients. I loved clinic. I thought it was fascinating, but there's, there wasn't enough procedural aspect to neurology for me. So that kind of cut it out. Um, I really like patients. I like talking with people. I like being in clinic. And so I kind of liked at all of it. Um, I didn't love being in the hospital. I didn't want to do something where I would be on an inpatient service very much. So yeah, there were lots of little things I liked, but nothing that really kind of made it difficult to decide on ophthalmology. Okay. All right. So, so at some point you decided I'm going to go on YouTube and I'm going to go on Instagram and I'm going to be famous social media doctor as well. (laughs) When did that come about? Yeah. Well, so when I was, it's funny, when I was studying for step one, I started reading all of these blogs and I think it was kind of my escape because my life was so miserable studying for step one. And I've, I really am into um, healthy eating and nutrition and fitness. And so I started reading all these kind of healthy living type blogs. And um, it was, yeah, it was just a fun little escape for me. And I got really into these healthy living blogs. And I kept thinking like, oh, man, I could do this. This would be great. I'd love to share my recipes or my experience being healthy as um, a medical student. And so the day after I took step one, I started my blog. And really, I didn't have any goals or any intention for it at all. I thought this can be my little place where I kind of document or chronicle third year and fourth year of medical school. And I can put my recipes here so that I can always have them. And my family can read it so they can keep in touch with me. And that was kind of it. And I ended up getting like a small little readership with some really nice people who would read my blog. But I found that people seemed to be much more interested in the medical school side of things Mm -hmm. and they cared less about the healthy living type things. And so I wanted to write a little bit about medical school, but I thought, well, that's not really in the same genre as my blog and maybe not everybody's going to want to hear that. So maybe I'll make a YouTube video kind of talking about medical school. And so that's what I did. I started making these small little YouTube videos where I would talk about like how to study or what I wish I had known about medical school or my experience during third year and and just these little YouTube videos and people seem to really like them. And it was really fun for me to make them because you get to interact with all these people. And I started connecting with pre-meds and it's just fun helping people who, when you were in their shoes just a few years ago, it's, it's really fun for me. Um, And I always think, you know, when I was pre-med, if there was some girl who was making YouTube videos, I would have loved it. I would have been all about it. And so it kind of evolved in that. And I started doing more like interview type videos. And I, it's not my priority. My priority is residency and learning how to be an amazing ophthalmologist. And so I definitely don't put 100% into it. I do it when I can. And that's okay. And I, it just really brings me a lot of joy 
So I keep doing it. Yeah. And what's the name of your YouTube channel for those who don't know about it? Yeah, you can just find me at Andrea Tooley. Um, if you go to YouTube, I think the username is still a doctor in the house. But either if you search either one, you'll find it on YouTube. My original blog name when I started it as more of a healthy living blog was a doctor in the house. Um, but now that I've kind of grown up and I'm <laughs> going to be a fellow soon, I'm transitioning to more of a professional, uh, you know, state and I'll just be Andrea Tooley. Nice. Okay. So Andrea, You've gotten this far, you've experienced a ton, you've had a, a lot of success, you're helping students along the way. What do you think is the biggest struggle that you see students having day in and day out on their pre-med and medical school journey? The biggest struggle, I mean, this is not an easy path for anybody. I feel like the most, that what I hear the most from people is, um, how do I stay motivated? I get th that type of question all the time. Um, I think people kind of lose their motivation or they lose steam because this is a long and arduous journey. And then also, I think there's a lot of self-doubt and people saying, how do I know if I'm going to make it? And what if I fail? And what if I don't make it? And I think both of those combine it's really hard to stay in kind of the mental state and have the really the mental fortitude to continue, especially these days where everything is just so competitive and cutthroat, like you said, and there's so much on the internet and test score averages just keep getting higher and higher and the standards are just impossibly high. <laughs> I mean, really like That's silly, I'm smart so people. I right. <laughs> Like, who are these people? I love saying, I'm like, there's no way I would get into medical school these days. No, me either. And you hear about these people who, um, yeah, are just, it, yeah, it's just crazy these days. And so I think just to have the strength to keep going and, and to get through it is such a challenge. And really, I would just encourage people to um, kind of surround yourself with a clan that helps you, friends who support you, um, and who will study with you, and um, family who supports you, and will help you kind of stay strong and motivated through this, because you're going to need it. I, I don't know what I would do without my friends and family who kind of helped me at my low points, which were a lot. Um, and then just kind of put one foot in front of the other is really, nobody wants, everybody asks, me, you know, I don't really like studying. How do I keep doing it? It's like, well, nobody really likes working this hard, but you just keep doing it. And, um, and, and you get there and you, you need to enjoy the process along the way, but you're not going to enjoy every minute of it. And so I think just finding that balance where you're not miserable, but you're still working hard is that's probably the biggest challenge I would say, at least for me, if I had to go through it all over again. To wrap up, looking back on your journey, what has been the most memorable part of it? Oh, that's such a good question. Probably matching into ophthalmology residency. I mean, that was just such a like a culmination of so many years of having this goal and finally getting that phone call from my program director saying, you know, welcome to Mayo Clinic, you've matched into residency. There's nothing that beats that. And 
I felt the same way getting into medical school, um, getting that envelope in the mail. It's just, you know, these moments you've worked so hard for that you'll never, ever forget that feeling that it was worth it and you did it. Um, those are so memorable. And then, and then there's like d- other days, silly days of studying. Like for, I remember these days studying with my friends um, or like having hard moments and hard days. You kind of just remember little bits and pieces of the, the whole thing. It's all great. You know, there's good times, there's bad times, but it's all, it's all really great. And at the end of the day, we all want to be good physicians and help our patients. And that makes it so worthwhile. All right, there you have it, Dr. Thule from A Doctor in the House. You can find her on YouTube. Just search for Andrea Thule. That's Andrea, A-N-D-R-E-A, Thule, T-O-O-L-E-Y. You can find her on Instagram as well. She's got a very, very popular Instagram account at Thule as her username on Instagram. Dr. Thule, thanks for joining me here on The Pre-Med Years I hope you listening got some great information out of this podcast, including the fact that you don't have to be perfect to get into medical school. You don't have to know everything to get into medical school. You just need to work hard. Work for work hard for your dreams. Get as much information as you can along the way. You don't need to know it all right now. Just start working towards that path of getting into medical school and one day you will get there. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well as any of our others that may interest you, including the MCAT podcast, the old pre-meds podcast, and specialty stories. You can find all of the podcasts that we offer at mededmedia.com. That includes the awesome podcast that the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine does, the Short Coat podcast. Again, that's mededmedia.com. We'll see you next time here at the Pre-Med Years.